Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Bobby, and I'm your friend who knows just a little bit too much about pop culture. Welcome to your weekly meeting of Pop Culture Fanatics Anonymous, and welcome to season four of the Afternoon Special Podcast. As y'all know, this podcast is like my child, so the fact that she's four already is insane. But I, I thank you for, for joining me on this journey, and I thank you for joining me again for another season of Pop Culture Deep Dives. So every season we switch something up on the show and this season is absolutely no different. Um, Y'all know that I can talk kind of ad nauseum about all of the topics that we tend to cover in a season. And so to kind of remedy me uh, going off on 50 minute tangents about random things, I thought I'd centralize things a little bit more. So the way we're going to do it going forward is that each month is going to have an overarching theme, topic, movie, show concept idea theory etc and then each week within that month we will go into deeper dives within aspects of that topic so every week in a month we'll be covering different aspects of this one topic get it got it great so this month in celebration of women's history month our topic is the teenage girl and as you could guess from the title our journey will begin with the history of the teenager more specifically the teenage girl so if that sounds good to you let's get started So, of course, the physical concept of being a teenager has existed since the literal beginning of time. However, I'm more still talking about the idea, the advent, the metaphorical idea of the teenager and the traits that we associate with that pre-adulthood time in our lives. Pre the advent of the teenager, there was this massive jump from childhood to adulthood, so much so in the Middle Ages that it was not uncommon for parents to send their children out into the world to make a life of their own, including marriage and child rearing as early as 12. So one day you're a kid and literally the second you turn like 13 or 14, boom, adult. There was also this prevailing belief during this time, and this was kind of across like, uh, you know, a couple of different cultures too, that a woman's prime was in her teenage years because that was when she was the most spiritually like potent. It was when she was the most fertile, as when she was the most beautiful. A lot of this era for teen girls was tied to her ability to um, be a mother and to have kids and to get married. 
Now, this could have been due in large part, in all fairness, to the fact that the quality of life and life expectancy rate uh, was a lot shorter than it is now. So the ages that we can identify as being preteen slash teenagers were actually just adults in, in this era. Nevertheless, though, by the end of the 19th century, moving into the 20th century, there was a bubbling notion that there needed to be an important distinction made in this unnamed in-between group uh, between childhood and adulthood. The person who could be credited with the discovery of the teenager is G. Stanley Hall, who was the first president of the American Psychological Association. In a 1904 book entitled Adolescence, Hall describes adolescence as a, quote, time of storm and stress. Oh my God, that's so true. And many scholars have concluded that he kind of meant that this was a time of great change, both physically, mentally, and emotionally for adolescence teenagers. Though it would be a few more years before the word teenager specifically would come to be. Some say the 1920s, others say the 1940s, though there is evidence of the word teen age, teen hyphen age, appearing in a 1936 review of the G. Stanley Hall book. Now, the creation of the teenager was aided by two important factors external of the teenagers themselves. One was the growing popularity of the car, and the other was the introduction of high school. So to set the scene, the first half of the 20th century, we saw the invention of the automobile, the car, and very quickly how it spread across the United States of America and very quickly how our life began to be centered around having a car and being able to drive around versus, you know, walking or using horses or whatever it is. So when the car was introduced, it created a new sense of freedom for this teenage group. So before this, teenagers, if there was, you know, any courting or like any kind of friendship that would happen, it would be who was around you and who you could, you know, readily walk to. But the car afforded a new sense of freedom for the teenager and that they could go and get to places that were far beyond their their house. And this also kind of introduced the idea of like a curfew um, in the way that we, we know it to be. And then in tandem with that is the introduction of high school. So school up until this point, again, kind of split between this kind of childhood and adulthood, um, these two groups, you have the advent of high school as this kind of in-between period and then as time went on we would get the introduction of, of middle school so then there would be the delineation of elementary school middle school high school and college but pre that it was kind of just like an old like a coverall school that covered like you know grades maybe like kindergarten through I don't know like eighth grade and then by that time which coincides with what I talked about at the top of the episode which is like you were sent into the workforce around like 12 or 13, like your schooling was pretty much done. And this is if you could afford to go to school or if a school was near you. So when the high school and the this kind of in-between school period of this kind of overall school and the workforce or then college, if you could afford to go to it, 
it is all these these children around this the ages of perhaps 12 to at most 18 all converging in one spot what that does and what happens in that moment is it creates this kind of echo chamber of these kids whose bodies are changing whose beliefs are changing whose emotions are changing whose thoughts are changing it is just a a hotbed of metamorphosis and that kind of breeds the traits that we then associate with teenagers because it's just nothing but teenagers in in one spot and so that that the the traits that we associate with them tend to kind of bubble up in that one space so those two things kind of help to push forward the idea of teenagers as a semantic group that and of course also capitalism has to work its way in here somewhere capitalism teenagers began to be seen as a market to obviously market to and as a consumer base to be uh, catered to as far as advertising goes um but that would come towards like the 50s and 60s uh with the kind of the bubbling up of fandom and the idea of teenage fandom to be specific so almost as soon as the teenager was invented society began to subscribe to the idea that the downfall of society was at the hands of the teenager it was like the teenager group and the word teenager was invented and then boom we were just like teenagers are the reason that society is gonna crumble uh. so much so that there was a 1945 new york times article entitled the teenage bill of rights which was kind of seen as this um, rule book of sorts to kind of help parents who may not understand this new uh, age group that's being recognized in teenagers and to help them understand kind of mentally, physically, and emotionally where they might be as far as, you know, their, their teenage children. Like it kind of was meant to help them understand. And I kind of want to go through uh, some of the different rights within this Teenage Bill of Rights from 1945, which is surprisingly like, I won't call it progressive. I'm not going to say that. So let's, let's go through a couple of these rights. So I'm going to read you the little, um, a little like kind of um, nut graph of the of the the teenage bill of rights that kind of enraptures all of what it was meant to be about in the current debate over teenagers the pendulum has swung between what is wrong with our children and what is wrong with us one result is that the average parent finds himself bewildered so the first right is the right to let childhood be forgotten which is exactly what it sounds like it's this prevailing belief that teenagers uh, don't want to be seen as children anymore and they don't want to be treated as children anymore when you're kind of knocking on the door of a new sense of responsibility you kind of want to just throw childhood to the side so if your mom is like oh you were such you were such a sweet kid and you were just you know like the cutest little child and blah 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 as a as a teenager you remember those times you're just like oh mom you know like i'm not a teenager i'm not a baby anymore i'm i'm an adult but you're a teenager you know and you don't get that until you're way out of the woods of adulthood um way out of the woods of teenagehood i should say uh right to is the right to have a say about his own life a lot of this is speaking mainly directly to teenage boys which we will get into after this um so that's why i said i can't give it the credit of being progressive per se uh because it only it really only talks about teen boys but it does sprinkle in some examples of of teen girlhood in here right three is to write to make mistakes and to find out for himself um which is very true 
Uh, number four is the right to have rules explained, not imposed. Number five is the right to have fun and companions. The right number six is the right to question ideas. And then right number seven, which I, it's a very short little blurb that I want to read you. Um, Cause what struck me about this article being shockingly written in the 1940s is is tenant expand upon as the month goes on, uh, specifically in episode two. But I think there's a, there's a prevailing idea here um, that I thought was just very interesting that was being talked about as early as the 1940s, which is uh, right number seven, which is the right to be at the romantic age, which reads, to the teenager, love is serious. He does not recognize the existence of puppy love and resents adults' misunderstanding and cynicism about his romances. When a teenager falls in love, he or she falls hard. There are no reservations. When Mary suddenly realizes that her English teacher is the smartest and wittiest and handsomest man in the world, it may be a crush to her parents, but to her, it is the real thing. Of course, next month, she'll begin to see the virtues of Alex next door, but this is this month. And if she happens to mention what a wonderful man Mr. Maynard is, a sensitive parent should accept it at face value, not laugh. Mary has a right to her brief dream. Which, you know, anyone who has subscribed to the experience of being a teen girl, uh, that just, it, it hit a little close to home uh, to the point where it was disrespectful. You know what I mean? Um, it, it got me in a way that I was like, wow. I remember being this age and in tandem, I also remember being the age that I am now where I look back on my crushes in my teenage girlhood. And I thought like it was, I thought I, I was legitimately like in love. I thought that this, this love was so big and so real. And it's something that oftentimes teen girls, teenagers, but teen girls especially are so um, hounded for and I thought it was interesting that they used in all the other rights they talk about they use he they talk about kind of the perspective of boys but for this one that they chose to uh, talk about talk about teen girls and their um, how like deep and quickly they they experience these emotions of of love and lust and everything like that I thought it was very fascinating uh, we'll deconstruct that a little bit later on but it was still uh, interesting to see nonetheless. Um, so right eight is the right to a fair chance and opportunity. Right nine is the right to struggle towards his own philosophy of life. And right 10 is the right to professional help whenever necessary. So I highly recommend you look it up. It's just literally just called uh, a teenage bill of rights. And it's very interesting to see uh, how the author Elliot E. Cohen um, expounds upon what teenagers were feeling at the time and also to see just how kind of applicable it is to whether you know if you are listening if you know a teenager in your life you're a parent to one you're a sibling to one you are one yourself um or if you just remember the time when you were a teenager just to see how it um that this we've had this decades long idea of teenagehood and how like there are just some things that just never change so moving on like I said, uh, that article mainly using uh, teen boys as its kind of muse and kind of speaking directly to the teenage hood of teen boys is very indicative of the history of the teen girl in that 
there hasn't been a equal standard of how we perceive teen boys with how we perceive teen girls. So much so that there was an article written by Isabella Madruga on the evolution of the perception of teen girls. And they state, ever since the beginning, teenagers were treated with hostility. J. Edgar Hoover published an FBI report in 1953 stating that, quote, the nation can expect an appalling increase in the number of claims that teenagers were never given a chance to be themselves without criticism. However, while both sexes were under this dangerous umbrella, teen boys were let off the hook a lot more than teen girls. While teen boys were seen as rambunctious, teen girls were seen as crazy and accused of tearing apart traditional family values. So there is already this, as soon as the, the teenager is introduced and as soon as society is going to foist the, the downfall of society onto the teenager, the teen boy is kind of being able to, in some ways, evade that, that criticism. And a lot of the, the, the plight and the, the, the negative around teenagers befalls onto the teen girl and she must uphold, and she must uphold this, uh, the standard that, is almost impossible to to reach like the teen girl is never quite given that uh that liberty or that license to be kind of crazy and be a teenager she must uphold this impossible standard and that is when we begin to see this denigration of the teen girl and her self-esteem because she is being held to a standard that her counterparts don't always necessarily experience not to diminish the plight of teen boys and puberty is hard for literally everyone um but it's just very fascinating how quickly we begin to see teen girls uh kind of break off and experience something vastly different from from teen boys as far as you know criticism and and as far as being made to feel ashamed for being a teen girl This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. Say goodbye your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. So as time goes on, the staying power of the teenager grows ever stronger and the power of the teen girl begins to become undeniable. And this was mainly seen in the mania around the artists that they loved, mainly the musical artists. So artists like Frank Sinatra, Elvis, of course, the Beatles, most famously. The teen girl fandom is a form of fandom all its own. And this group often informs what's new and next, especially within pop culture. So I'm not going to get too much into uh, teen girls and fandom because we have a whole episode dedicated to that this month that I think is going to be really, really exciting and really fun to listen to. But I will touch on it a little bit. And what I said at the top was 
very, very true in that teen girls, if you want to point to any group within the different markets that pop culture caters to, the teen girl is the is the the factor, is the deciding factor of of what we are listening to, who we're watching, what we're wearing. They are that group, both the focus group and the trendsetters who are just letting us know like this is what's cool right now and this is what's not cool right now. We take it out of rotation. Just imagine how easily and how quickly you get on a, an app like TikTok and you see someone who's like 13, 14, 15, and they talk about, you know, like, oh, no one's wearing skinny jeans anymore. And see how quickly people stop wearing skinny jeans. If they, if teen girls are like, oh, that's out. So many people follow suit and they're like, yeah, that's out. I would never wear that. You know, and I sometimes like I found, you know, now that I'm, you know, 10 years almost removed from from you know, teenagehood in a way, I find myself also like, you know, trying to see like, what are, what are, the, what are the teens talking about? Like, what are those youths? Um, I say this like I'm ancient, but like, what are the, what are the, the, the young ones? What are they talking about right now? You know, what's happening? And the, the teenage girl, like the fandom associated with teen girls, no matter what it is. And this is not just associated with, you know, like, you know, the, what are seen as like teeny bopper artists so like boy bands or you know like pop artists like when a teen girl likes something she's going all in you know like she is she's in it to win it she's committed to it and we're gonna like i said we're gonna expand on it in episode two um we're gonna expand on it in the the later episode about fandom but it is it's something real and it's something serious and it is so crazy how the foundation of most marketing techniques come from the behaviors of teen girls and how they choose to interact with the things that they like and getting other people to get on board with the things that they like it's fascinating but I also want to get into how this kind of ladders into the expectation of of the teen girl and I think oftentimes and this is indicative of, of women since the beginning of time which is you know to to be to not take up a lot of space. And I think teen girls, especially when you're at this age where your emotions are so visceral and you feel them more than you feel quite literally anything else and they just feel so palpable and tangible, it is so, so unfair to tell a teen girl to not feel the things that she's feeling, especially at the the height and the 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 intensity with which she feels them. It's very just it's terrible to impose this expectation on the teen girls especially one that we are not matching to to her counterpart but then I also want to get into like within teenage girlhood who are we seeing what is that mental picture that we have in our head and I think a lot of the times especially within America teenage girlhood is very white straight and thin so even though teenage girls are are criticized and browbeaten how does that delineate into different groups and different identities? What does black teenage girlhood look like? What does queer teenage girlhood look like? What does disabled teenage girlhood look like? Like, what are those different identities? How do they, and like identities and describers, how do they inform how we are choosing to talk about this very, very specific age in our life? And like, how are we choosing to talk about the pop culture of that age in our life? And I think that's when we get into um, if you ask, you know, 
people who have experienced teenage girlhood, if you ask them, hey, like, what were your favorite artists? What were, you know, the things that you went crazy for? You might hear some like, you know, through lines like, uh, you know, a Backstreet Boys or a One Direction or something like that. But oftentimes you'll hear something completely different based on racial identities, queerness, um, you know, all these other deciding factors. Like, say, for instance, when I was a teenager, you know, there are groups like Mindless Behavior and artists like Jacob Lattimore that I listen to. But I know that my white current parts probably would have no idea who that was and vice versa. I'm sure there are some white artists at the time who I didn't have that, you know, teenage girlhood fandom for like fandom fervor for but they definitely did and so it just it shows that like we already kind of have this fixed um idea or this fixed mental picture of like what does a teen girl in america look like and i think it is very important that we begin to really like delineate and kind of pull the strings out of like you know deconstructing that it's just this one vision and that teenage girlhood can look a thousand different ways uh, more than a thousand different ways and I think we began to see that towards the 2010s, which I was I was a teenager in the in the 2010s. Um, I turned 13 in 2012. And there was this kind of turning point I found in a lot of research that uh, people saw in the 2010s when we began to reckon with, you know, the media that we consumed. How is it portraying things like race? How is it portraying things like class? How is it portraying things like gender, um, you know, sexuality? We really began to kind of take a look at what we were consuming and like what were the negative or positive impacts of that and I think as a teenager around that time you're already naturally doing those things as you're discovering yourself and so we began to get more you know in 2010s and now in the 2020s we're in this really cool period I've talked about it a lot on Twitter Um, we're in this really cool period where the teen girl is really kind of being deconstructed and reconstructed to take into account those identities right like even just in like a representation way even just being able to see different cultures forms of teenage girlhood you know like to see different shows with leads that don't all just look like a white teenage girl but like so from so many different races and like getting to see what culture like how different cultures present this specific time in your life um i think about movies like you know turning red which came out last year book smart uh, which came out in 2019 eighth grade you know we're we're getting to see in eighth grade you know depending on what age you were in eighth grade that may be more like preteenhood or teenagehood either way it's applicable but i think we're beginning to get more authentic and more real um displays of what this teenage girl era can be and like and also with shows like pin 15 you know like we're for ourselves ready to kind of go back to that time in our lives where emotions felt as high as the sky love felt like this end-all be-all thing fandom was what drove us it was the thing that we did as soon as we got up and as soon as we went to sleep we're really being able to return to that period in our life and i think you know, have some grace for ourselves. As as I've gotten older and I've gotten far away from my teenage self, I look back on, you know, teenage Bobby. And at the beginning of my, my 20s, I think I was much more ashamed of her and I was so hard on her. But now as I've gotten older, oh my God, I'm so proud of her. You know, like it was being that age 
at the time that I was a teenager, like I give myself so much more grace and I give myself so much more love and I appreciate that time in my life. Um, and I think that is a part of the teenage girl process where you are in the throes of it. You see yourself as just a scum of the earth. You're never going to be loved. You're never going to be pretty. You're never going to be this. You're never going to be that. And it oftentimes has nothing to do with anything that's happening internally, but it's all external and it works its way internal. And then once you get out of that, that age in your life, then you're like, whoa, I was really mean to myself and I shouldn't have been. And it's really, really, really shitty. It's really shitty when externally we browbeat and we shame teenage girls for this time in their life that they can't help but be in. They can't help but be the age that they are. They can't help to like the things that they like. And we shame them for liking them. Oftentimes do we find that we shame teenage boys for liking, you know, football or for liking wrestling or for listening to the music that they do? No, we don't really see that. And when we go into the fandom episode, we'll kind of take a deeper dive into how even on a industry level, we oftentimes shame the things that teenage girls like. But yet we do tend to still look to this group to tell us, OK, what, who's who's next up? You know what I mean? And so it's just this really... It's this really strange time in in our life. And I think that the history of the teen girl is still ongoing. Obviously, teen girls will exist until the end of time and they'll come in many shapes and sizes and identities. And I think it's just it's not this coverall thing anymore. Like I think a couple like probably 50 years ago, the idea of the teen girl was very fixed. And now it is so encompassing like it there are so many identities under the umbrella of teen girl and it is not just you know like a cis white straight thin mental picture it is it's it's like jamie lee it's all of us you know what i mean um so to to wrap things up and to conclude i want to return back to the isabella madruga article and they end their article uh and i think i will end this episode with quote what society needs to do now is give teen girls respect allow them to express themselves however they want allow them to have spaces outside of school and their families allow them to scream to their heart's content give them the same expectations that we do to quote spirited young men who turn over cars and break windows and turn cities upside down because their teams lost Teen girls should be allowed to be weird. They should be allowed to be cringy. But with the ever disappearing preteen era, we should let them hang on to their fixations before they're thrown into the horrible world of adulthood. Let teen girls be passionate. Let them be kids for just a little longer without shame and mockery. Society owes them that much for everything they've provided to the world. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode, Afternooners. If you don't know, the Afternooners is my name for all of us. So if you've made it to the end of this episode, congratulations, you're an Afternooner now. If you like this episode, don't forget to rate and review this podcast if you had a good time. It helps out the pod. You get to tell me how you're feeling about the pod and I get that sweet hit of praise and validation that is my life force and keeps me going. If you want to know where else to find me on the internet, you can find me at The Afternoon Special on TikTok or Instagram or over on Twitter at Hi, I'm Bobby, H-I-I-M-B-O-B-B-I. And if you're thinking, Bobby, I need to just sit with everything that you said about teen girls and I need to be nicer to the things that teen girls like and I'm not going to remember all of that. 
bestie. I get it. And I support that decision. And so I put all that information in the description box below just for you. You're welcome. I hope you have enjoyed this week's episode and the first installment of our Teenage Girl series here on the podcast and that you'll join me again next week for another pop culture deep dive. Later days, friends. Hey, this is Eric Malinsky, host of the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Each episode, I explore different sci-fi fantasy genres, talking with filmmakers, novelists, game designers, cosplayers, comic book artists, and anyone who works in the field of make-believe. I also look at the fan experience, asking, why do we suspend our disbelief? You can subscribe to Imaginary Worlds wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to a journey into the heart of the Texas Renaissance Festival, the nation's largest and rowdiest celebration of medieval fantasy. But what lurks beneath the facade of tights and turkey legs? Well, we dove deep into the empire to uncover a history marred by mystery and misconduct, murders, assaults, and other crimes that tarnish its legacy. This isn't just a fairy tale. It's a cautionary tale of power, fantasy, and the consequences that follow when they all collide. Search for Crime Waves Renaissance Texas on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now.